Well, if you have your Bible, if you'll take it with me, please, and we'll start off our service with our Bible decree. Let's hold it nice and high if you have it with you. Let's say this together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. If there are children that are in here, you want to head back to Children's Chapel as you'll be learning some things about Jonah as well. You are dismissed to head back with Mr. Travis and Miss Megan. You know, I think we we often feel that if the Holy Spirit moves in us, it's some out-of-body experience. I don't want anybody to ever misconstrue how the Holy Spirit works. He is not the author of confusion. But the Holy Spirit can come as quietly and as as peaceful as as anything. And so, you know, oftentimes when, you know, sometimes I'm speechless that I go to sing something, but... I'm humbled by the love of Christ for me and for this world. And, you know, when we sing a song like Behold the Lamb or Mighty Savior Lifted High, King Forever. If you've lived your life at all in Jesus Christ. And he has been a part of who you are and how you've journeyed. Then you'll know that his calling is irrevocable, and that your responsibility in Christ is so valuable and important. The series that I've been preaching on here about Jonah, last week I called it, it was a whale of a tale. And even though we realize that, you know, the scriptures does not identify him as a whale, it says that he was a fish, that it was a monster from the sea, we realize that in correlation to this world, there are many monsters and there are many obstacles in our life. And each and every one of us have a whale of a tale to tell. Each and every one of us, if you've ever lived your life in Christ, you have a whale of a tale to tell. Your story is valuable and it is important. Your life in Christ is so valuable and important. And when we say, mighty Savior lifted high, we should be running not from God, not just running to God, but we should be running with God. He should be who we are. We should have a deep relationship with Him. We've hindered our relationship and we don't value that friendship that we can have on this Father's Day with the Father who is the Father To the fatherless, excuse me. (coughs) That is God. And right now, for many of you on this day, it becomes very somber. And it's a time when, when you feel like your father, your earthly father is not here. That he is gone. And that God took him home and you'll never see him again. And I know there's times when you want to pick up the phone, such as I do, just to get some advice. I had two great men, Don and Ray, who both were instrumental in my life. 
they were my father's. But I had to realize at a young age, even through divorce, that God becomes the father to the fatherless. And if you don't have that fatherly figure, if you can measure your life up to Jesus Christ, to measure life up to God, and then you'll realize that all of the void and the emptiness that's in your life can be filled to overflowing because that's what God does for you. Because He loves you and He cares for you. We know the story of Job, and I guess God wants me to say this today. This isn't even part of the message, but, you know, again, welcome to New Hope. Uh, the story of Job, when Job realized that in his sin he had to repent and come back. That he had to come back to his father. But in that story and in that narrative, I enjoy what it has to say because it says when God, when he ran back to God, God wiped the tears from his eyes. He held his head to his chest and he said, welcome home, son. Maybe you've been searching for some time. Maybe you just haven't find that, found that peace that only God can give you. And I want you to know that, that God does love you and there is peace in your Heavenly Father. And if you've been running from Him, or maybe just, let's just make it very, very personal. You know, when that song comes on, that same power, I'll never forget being at uh, Moody Bible Institute just a few years ago before they stopped pastors' conferences. And I'll never forget the Chicago Tabernacle Choir. When that song ripped out of their mouths, that same power, the building shook with 3,000 called men of God, and you felt the power of Almighty God in that auditorium. It was then that I realized just how powerful and how loving our God is. And it was at that time in my life that I, it was a turning point for me. When I had to run back to God and say, I know I've been pastoring and I know I've been living my life in you. Yes, I was surrendered as a teenager, but I've been running from you. I, I wasn't running with God, I was running from God. And it was at that moment that God started to convict my spirit. Then it was that moment that I surrendered and said, yes, God, I haven't been praying like I should be. I haven't been in the Word like I should be. Oh, yes, I'm there to study the Word, but am I in the Word of God? Do I allow it to challenge me on a daily basis? Or do I allow the gossip and the social media of this world to distract and distort my view of who God is and how powerful He truly is? And if I could have that day... I would have just stood up on my chair and just raised my hands as high as I could. I just wanted to jump up and down when they were singing that same power. Okay, I'm back. That was pretty good for a 50-year-old. Let me try that again. No, just <laughs> I haven't lost my... I'll never forget, there was, there was once an evangelist called Johnny Pope. And, you know, in the olden days... Uh, it's funny, I have to just throw this in there. You know, when, when pews were so important in the church. And uh, he would run on the back of them. I thought, and, and I know this sounds a little bit sadistic and distorted. I just wanted him to slip off one of them. I'm just, <laughs> I, 
That's all I wanted him to do. I know he was an evangelist, and I, know, I mean, and he did. I was like, it was like he was leaping over. I'm thinking, what in the world? Man, that guy's like filled with the Spirit or something. I didn't know. But I knew for myself at 16 years of age, I would never do that. So I'll take my one step. There you go, Anne-Marie, and back down again. Yeah, yeah. But I want to make it to 51, amen? But this morning when I got out of bed at 5.30, I... Uh, went in and I spent some time with God and then I was able to get into the Word and started th- thinking some things through about running with God in June, Jonah. Chapter 3 will be our focus today. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there to Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. I said all that to say this, that I realized it was at that moment at pastor's conference what true surrender really looked like. I felt like my whole life I had been surrendering. And... Church, listen to me. True surrender means humbling yourself in the sight of God. Be true to yourself. Humble yourself. Show humility. It's okay. Repentance comes with shame. If we never have any shame, we'll never have any repentance, and therefore we never have any forgiveness. See, we start to harbor those feelings of resentment and hate towards people because we just can't let go of what we're harboring inside of our heart and in our life. We all have a vendetta, but we all have a calling. But I want to read Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. So if you'll please follow with me. I'll be reading out of the... New Living Translation, and this is where Jonah goes to Nineveh. And so last uh, two weeks ago, we realized that Jonah ran from the Lord. Last week, we talked about his prayer and his praise in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message that I have given to you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took... Three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robe, he dressed himself in burlap, or in... in other translations, sackcloth, and sat on a heap of ashes. And the king and his nobles sent his decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who could tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. I would like to start off by saying like Jonah, we have a calling and I have a responsibility to teach the word of God to you. Ephesians 4, chapter 11 reads, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. 
And in verse 12 it says, For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 4, let's also turn there as well. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read this in page Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 24 and 32. Ephesians 4, verse 24 says, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and in true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give opportunity or place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him the needest, that needs. Verse 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be a kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. In verse 22, it says this, if we go back, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the former conduct, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Putting off all of the old and adapting to the new. People should be able to see a difference between Christians and non-Christians because of the way that we live our life. The way that Christians live. We are to live as children of light. Ephesians 5 says this in verse 8. For you are sometimes in darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul told Ephesians to leave behind the old life of sin since they were followers of Christ. Living the Christian life is a process. Although we have a new nature, we don't automatically think all good thoughts and express all the right attitudes when we become the new person or we become new people in Christ. But if we keep listening to God, will we be challenged and we will also change continually Changing all the time. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. As you look back over the last several months or over the last year, do you see a process of change for the better in your thoughts, in your attitudes? How about this? Is there a change in your actions? Is there a change? And although change may be slow, it comes as though as you trust God to change you. In Colossians, let me read this for you. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, 3 through 8 says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. And uh, in verse 5 and it's so bizarre because I go back and forth from the New Living Translation just because, for me, the narrative I like really is helpful. And I'll tell you, there's nothing greater than seeing Bambi walk right through here. Bambi is right out here to your left. If you look out the window, 
how awesome is that, that we get to see baby deer running around this place? Now that is the power of God, amen? In verse 5, it says here in Colossians 3, mortify. It says, put to death, therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil, desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you will also walk sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now, I'm going to uh, stop right there because the Lord just brought to mind about this young man right here, right up front. I want everybody to applaud Billy because this is... What year? How long has it been now? Seven months for Billy. Amen. Go, Billy. Go, Billy. Go, Billy. I just want you to know you just need to take one day at a time. I know I tell you that all the time and tell everybody that. Don't think it's seven months that that God has delivered you. And God just put you to mind when when I looked at verse 5 and it says, putting to death, mortifying, therefore... You have to put aside the old man, walk in the newness of Christ. Um, I'm just going to do a little highlight, and I hope you all don't mind, but when when Billy was younger, and I first met Billy about 10 years ago, uh, 12 years ago, actually, 14 years ago, actually. It has been long. Wait a minute. It has been 14 and a half years ago when I met you, because we're at the church six months, right, or one year? Six months. Okay, so we were in the church building one month, so it would be 13, 13 and a half years. But, you know, I knew that when I met Billy, that Billy had a love for Christ. And that his past hindered him from being what he really and potentially could be because, you know, of, of how we want to say it, living the life of the past. But walking in the newness of Christ and studying the Word and making that evident in your life has been huge, and, I, and I'm proud of you. I just want you to know that. So praise the Lord for for where you're at. I mean, I love this guy. So anyhow, as we continue, I uh, when I look here at the outline of what a Christian should be in Colossians chapter 3, it says letting, putting aside, getting rid of all those old things, walking in the newness of Christ. If you're here today and you think that you can't do it, well, I'm here to tell you that that same power can help you get through anything. I have done it. I've gone through death. I've gone through sin. I've gone through the same experiences that you have gone through. Pastors are not exempt. Even though they want to stand in the pulpit and act as if they're holier than the rest of the people, I often wonder to myself, who is that individual to begin with? We are not different. We are sinners saved by God's grace. His favor, His unmerited grace in our life. And if it wasn't for Jesus, I would not be standing here right now. So, I want to just highlight something for you before I move forward. I I like what it said there in verse 3. And I I did some thinking this morning and it really started to move me because in chapter 3 of Jonah, if you'll go back there, in verse 3 it says, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh. A city so large that it took three days to see it all. Now, the, the number three in Scripture is much like the number seven, which is God's number of completing, perfection. And the number three actually means harmony, new life, 
or completeness. So if you feel complete, you know, how many of you have ever thought, well, I went to the Lord in prayer and He just didn't answer my prayer. I'm upset. Well, has it been three days yet? Maybe He's trying in this journey to teach you the greater lesson. And maybe in this journey, God is trying to teach what you're praying for, maybe a loved one or so on and so forth, the same type of lesson in their own life. Remember, he's the father to the fatherless. But watch this. Three times Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Three times God called the prophet Samuel three times. Jesus repeats the phrase to one of his disciples three times. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Jesus rose from the grave after three days. The Magi, when they came to present gifts unto Jesus, gave him how many gifts? Three gifts. God is three in one. The Father, the and the Amen. We also realize that God is omnipotent, He's omniscient, and He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing, He's all-powerful, He's everywhere all the time. That's my God. Amen. The end of the service. Hello. Oh. Woo! Isn't that good? Isn't it, isn't it great just to talk about God and how great He is? Wow. That is just awesome. And where's the time gone? What time is it actually? Leave that up to my daughter. And for those that didn't hear, they said 12. For that, I'm preaching till 1. Everybody got your Bibles? Here we go. All right. <laughs> We're having church today. Anyhow, okay, I won't do that. So, we realized that Jonah ran away from God, and I got a lot to cover. Then he ran to God, and now we realize that he's running with God in today's sermon. And then next week, I'll highlight some things about him running ahead of God. But today we'll be studying basically the chapter 3, as I've highlighted here. There's so much that I want to say that I think it's kind of overloading my brain. So who knows where we're going and how God's going to complete everything, but I'm leaving him in control. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word today, Lord. I pray that you'll just help me to, to teach your word, to bring clarity, to make it applicable. And Lord, even for me, not just for your people, just dumb it down for me so that I can explain exactly what you want said today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for using Jonah. Thank you for using each and every one of us in our lives. In your holy name we pray. Amen. God said go, and Jonah said no. Let's do this again. God said no. And Jonah said no. Okay, good. You need to be very careful when you say no to God. Jonah got into a well of trouble, right? Last time we left Jonah inside the well. That was our story last week. He's been in the well. Now it's time to let him out of the well, right? So I thought, how cool would it be to make it somewhat descriptive and gory and kind of attractive to the hearer? Jonah spent what seemed forever in the great sea. In fact, he says it was forever 
in the belly of the whale. Actually, it was a portion of three days and three nights. But the best part of the story is that the time inside a living fish monster, and for those that like science, Leviathan, he had been sucked down feet first. You can call that backsliding, if you will. (laughs) Through a long tunnel. The floor of his grave was moist and warm. And that's where he spent his time. And he realized his surroundings. He probably became acutely aware of a foul, terrible odor. I don't know what it would smell like in the belly of a well, but I doubt that it would be too comfortable. And it doesn't smell like a sensi. Putrid, partly digested things from seaweed to fish. The stench of this house of death was just nauseating. Do I not sound like Burl Ives? I'm just trying. All right? Give me, help me out here. The thought must have come to his mind he was nothing more than a fodder. Do you know what a fodder is? I looked it up. No more than grainy, seaweed, nasty food. So, let me, Lord, to thumb this down. Let me go, man. You're like, yum. A nighttime snack in the belly of a hungry sea monster. He had been saved from drowning, and now he desperately needed to be saved from digestion. Because it was a very real danger. The body was gurgling. The acid was coming up. The animal was so enormous that his tongue alone was the size of a hippopotamus. Jonah's skin must have tingled there in the dissolving liquid. Stomach acid is potent stuff. And Jonah was there. It must have seemed that he was being he was being slowly but surely reduced to whale fuel. Enough fuel to provide a mile of or two more for the travels of this monster. As time went on, he must have seriously wondered if his prayer would penetrate through the walls of this prison chamber before the gastric juices penetrated his skin. Wear me out. Would God listen to this renegade? <laughs> Would God listen to this renegade runaway prophet? God listen to a runaway renegade prophet. So the question I'm going to ask you: Does God listen to backslidden Christians? Will God hear your prayers? Yes, He will. The only book of that proves that is the book of Jonah. You see, what could happen more to Jonah would be a failure of God. Only God could get him out of there. Jonah vowed that if he ever got out of that evil death trap, he would break every speed record in getting to Nineveh. Never again would he turn his back on God. He would do anything God wanted him to do. He would never turn his back on God again. Never. Not as long as he lived. I will go to Nineveh. I'll be the first one to arrive there. I will never complain about anything as long as I live. And of course, we know That he did because he didn't know much about what was going to happen with the gourd, which we're going to get into next week. But in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, God commanded the fish and it vomited. Now, I stopped short of the sentence, but I will tell you this. A lot of people, when God commands, they feel like vomiting. They don't like what the Lord says. They can't accept the will of God for their life. 
when God commands us to do something, a lot of people want to do just the opposite. It makes them sick to know what God wants them to do, and they can't accept his will. However, this time God actually guided the great whale to the beach where he wanted Jonah to disembark. The whale, the fish, like a radio-controlled submarine, navigated to the God-chosen spot. Then at God's command, when he heard the voice of God in one mighty heave, that monster vomited and Jonah was ejected. And that ejection must have come quickly for him out onto the dry seashore. Have I really given you guys a good picture today? I'm just checking. I want to make sure everybody's with me that we're working through this. The ejection came so fast. And the ejection from the well came fast for Jonah. The whale was a perpetual glutton, having eaten tons of food since swallowing Jonah. But suddenly there was a great rush and a great roar. The pallet heaved up Jonah. Here he came across over that tongue, past those mighty sharp teeth, and out onto that beach. The daylight blinded him. Jonah found himself laying on top of a mountain of bile and partly digested decomposed skeletons of lesser sea life. I just figured that if we really got into depth and kind of descriptive of the story of this, you guys would really, you know, how many times have we heard the story of Jonah? And it just becomes boring, so I just figured I'd make it fun and exciting today. You're welcome. He peeled the entwining strands of seaweed from his body, got up, and finally stood on solid ground. The brilliance of the sun on the white sand hurt his eyes. The well left its mission complete. Now what did Jonah do? In Jonah chapter 3... You can go back there in Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it, preaching what I tell you. God's precious word came to Jonah the second time. God was not through with Jonah. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you here today. We serve a God of second chances. Don't ever think that just because you fail God... He has put you on the shelf. You have made backslid, backslid down to the bottom, but God wants to use you again. And is reassuring that even the best of God's prophets can make deep mistakes and yet be used again in God's work. I love the type of God that we have. You see, Adam and Eve fell hard when they ate of the forbidden fruit. But what did God do? God came a second time in the cool of the day to mend the broken relationship. Samson felt deep into sin, but God gave a second chance and Samson seized the two pillars of opportunity. So if you have gone over fool's hill, if you have slipped into drugs or drinking or any other type of sin, if you call on God, just remember, He is a God of second chances. Amen? I doubt if the great corporations of today would give a man a second chance. However, a bank would not rehire an embezzler. I'm sure of that. The second chance came to Jonah. Note that God is not making an exception with Jonah. This is an illustration of how God treats his children when they sin and want to come back to him. As Jonah stood on the beach once again, he heard God's voice. And here's what he heard. Go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah obeyed quickly. 
Which way is Nineveh? Oh, that way? So off he went. On the run. We do not obey because we don't trust God. We don't trust Him because we do not know Him. We do not obey because we don't trust God. We don't trust Him because we don't know Him. And the fish, Jonah, had gotten to know God again and came to trust Him once more. Obedience comes from knowing God. And obedience naturally follows. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 2 and 3, God said, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Jonah went to Nineveh. That is repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's a change of heart. And the direction of your whole life is changed when you repent and surrender your life to God. How many of you have been in this room struggling, saying, God, I know what I need to do. I know what I should do, but I'm not going to do it. It's so much easier to repent and be free from that so you can run in victory. I believe that the picture here that we're seeing from Jonah is that he became free from the bondage that he was in. Yes, I I put out that narrative that it was very, very descriptive of seaweed, of dead fish, of all the other sea life that this fish ate. But in reality, when sin takes you to the pits of hell, it doesn't taste, smell, or feel good. Don't let what the enemy has to say to you convince you that it's okay to continue in your life of sin. The Bible says, let grace abound to get rid of sin. Where is the discipline in your life? When God speaks, do something. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. I knew God was calling me to preach, and I said, God, I can't do it. I knew it, and I knew that God had put me in a church in a situation that was not good, and it wasn't healthy. It didn't smell, taste, feel good. None of it was good. But God brought me to a place almost 16 years ago to see souls saved and lives changed. People transformed for Jesus Christ. That isn't the story of going, look where I've been, church. No, it's not. There's hell to pay and hell to go through. Hell is a real place. But heaven is a greater place. And when you accept Jesus Christ and you walk in Him and you realize that in your own life and your own struggles that you need God, it's important. Discipline is so important in our Christian life. Look to the person next to you and say, just say no. You know, think about it. That has been highlighted, publicized, published in the school. Just say no. No, here's how it works. You have to repent, say no, so that you can now start to walk in the newness of Christ. So in Colossians, if we put to dead the to, if we put to death the old man, the old life, then we get to turn around and walk in the newness of Christ. I'm 50 years old. I've not arrived. I have so much more to learn. And just going through this message has taught me so many things about my Christian life. Today's Father's Day. Men, are you men of integrity? 
Are you honest with your family? Are you honest with your wife? Are you honest with your children? Do they look at you as the pillar of the family, as the godly man that you're supposed to be? Do they think that, yes, he is a stellar Christian man, today's Father's Day, and because of what Dad has instilled in my life, I am now going to give back to Dad today, and I'm going to buy him all the things that he dreamt dreamt of all year long on Father's Day, and I'm going to cook him salmon, and I'm going to have great food, and chocolate, triple chocolate cake, and all kinds of things. Okay, good. And all those things make a difference. My wife does have a great meal planned out for me today, and I want to thank her. For those that might be listening, my wife just has to add, I don't know what it is about this church that they think they can add to my messages. (laughs) Okay. Y'all. Y'all are crazy. True surrender is this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Amen? That's what I get for getting off point here, right? I hear it. Anyhow, um, where am I at? (laughs) This is crazy. Jonah surrenders and he starts to preach. Now watch... The narrative here. Watch what starts to take place. In this story, in this story of Jonah, Jonah surrenders. He comes out of bondage. He comes out of a place where he was running from God. Now he's running with God. God speaks to him and he hears his voice. What you'll see in the scriptures in Jonah chapter 3 is that God starts to do a great work in the lives of the people in Nineveh. There was 120,000 people. One of the greatest revivals of the New Testament. I mean, of the Old Testament versus what's happening in Acts in the New Testament. I told you I'm still back there. I am sweating for some reason. I don't know why this church is so hot. Can we turn on the air conditioning? Anyhow, 120,000, no, I got everybody covered up. Only this church people cover up with blankets. I haven't figured it out yet. But, um, 120,000 people get saved because he surrendered. But look at where God took him. God is a God of second chances, and God is a God that is willing to, to help you. You know, when I always see young people in here, I love because God used Jeremiah at a young age. God used David at a young age. God used Jonah. God will use you, and when you keep saying no, don't you run from him because God will grab a hold of you. And if God is calling you 
to do something great, then you need to surrender to that call. But what happened with Jonah was that his faith was increased. And, and, and so by listening to the voice of God, the king even changed, the people changed, and it says that they all started to believe. And so are you, are you noticing this here? They're all starting to believe. Now, I'm going to make this somewhat personal for you. Why aren't the people in your family and the people that are around you not believing in the resurrected Christ? Why is it that we have not been what we should have been or could be because we keep mortify or we keep revisiting the flesh instead of mortifying and putting to death that old guy? And so Jonah, we realize that Jonah, up to this point, he didn't have a repentant spirit. But I love that they came to know Jesus Christ, their God, their Father, the three in one even in the Old Testament, all at one time. What story do you have to share? What is your story? What is it that you've been through? If five years ago I'm standing there, maybe it was just three years ago, it's been two years since we have been to pastor's conference because they stopped it. What a stronghold of the enemy. I did all I could to tell them, listen, pastors need fed and they just thought, I guess, money was more important and other issues that, that came out. You have the potential to reach so many people. And if God lays something on your heart, I want you to do it. I want you to hear the voice of God. Don't say it's just a voice of reason. I want God to move in your life. Just one minister to 120,000 people but what can just one person do when one minister gets into the righteousness of Jesus Christ and has a personal saving relationship with God? He becomes a mighty instrument and great things come. Jonah was a born-again Christian. Jonah then heard the voice of God. Notice what these people did. It says several things about them in verse 5. Here's what it says. One, they believed God. Two, they declared a fast. All God has ever required is belief. If you believe in Him, your works will come. They believed in God and immediately they did something about it. They declared a fast. In other words, they believed God and demonstrated their belief by doing something about it. True belief is always followed by works. The works don't save us, but belief does. They believed God and they proclaimed a fast. And then what did they do Thirdly, in verse 6, it says this. And the Lord God prepared a gourd. Oops, wrong verse. Verse 6, for the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him and covered him with sackcloth and sat in ashes. He called a fast. When the news reached the king, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust when he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. And the proclamation said this, Do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. And I tell you what that is. That is prayer. Prayer. 
and let them give up their evil ways. That is repentance. And their violence, and who knows, God may yet relent with compassion and return from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. Notice the steps he went through, and then I'll close. First of all, they believed God. Secondly, they called a fast. And thirdly, they became a people of prayer. And then they repented. Verse 8 here says, But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. It's amazing to me. Give up your evil ways. And they did. They changed their life. They changed their hearts, which resulted in change of their actions. What did you say, Pastor? They changed their life. They changed their hearts, which resulted in a change of their actions. Now, what did God do? And here's another problem with the book of Jonah. A lot of scholars today, a lot of Christians today, do not accept the book of Jonah because of verse 10. Let me read this verse very carefully with you. And God saw their works. And they turned from their evil way. And God repented of their evil. And God relented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. God dealt with them in grace rather than judgment. Because of repenting, God had compassion on them. He did not bring upon the destruction that he had threatened. And let's read, I'm going to do this in conclusion, and then we'll close. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 and 41. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 and 41. Matthew chapter 12, it says in verse 44, Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly. Or in the fishes, the great fishes belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment, and this generation shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Isn't that amazing? They referenced what Jesus is saying here is that these pagan men of Nineveh believed God in stark contrast. To God's own people. Who were the Israelites who do not believe in God? They did not accept that Jesus as their Savior. How many times do you see in the book of Jonah, do you see Jonah healing people? How many times did Jonah raise people from the dead? How many times did Jonah go through the streets healing leprosy and all sorts of other things? I don't read any of that. I don't even see that in this text. Jonah was the most successful evangelist in the history of the world. 120,000 converts. Amazing, isn't it? I think today in the church, we sense we're all God's people. So I'd like to make an appeal to you today to accept Jesus Christ, to believe and accept Him in your heart to accept Him as your personal Savior. And to accept Him to be covered with the beautiful robe of righteousness of Christ. 
Accept Jesus as your Savior. Surrender your life to Him and you'll never be the same. That's exactly what Jonah did. The heathen of Nineveh did that with one sermon. One simple sermon. And I believe that today our greatest need is to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. To be born again and to have Him live out His life in us. We've all been at a crossroads. We all have choices. We all have decisions. But church, God's calling you. Have you said, yes, I know Jesus as my Savior? No, let's put it to a whole other dynamic. Have you accepted Jesus in His ways? And if you haven't, make it today. If He's talked to you, if He has spoke with you, you need to move on His prompting. Make it personal. God loves you. He cares for you. And remember when I started off the sermon, and I'll never forget standing in that auditorium, and the aisle was right here, and the seat was behind me, and the only reason I couldn't stand in the seat was because they were theater seats. And if I stood on it, I'd probably go straight down through it. It wouldn't have been good. But when I sing the song, Mighty Savior Lifted High, I think, wow, what Jonah must have said to people An albino, a man that almost looked like the Holy Spirit, was white as snow. Look at the picture. They saw a man who was running from God, but now was running with God. They saw that same power in Jonah. That same power that Jesus starts to demonstrate in the New Testament. And if I could have, I would have lifted my hands high. I would have jumped up and down. I was already screaming while they were singing. And I was having a little bit of a Holy Ghost fit. But putting aside all of that, if you were to look inside your heart, are you as white as snow like Jonah? Do you walk in righteousness like Jonah? And are you running with God? I'm going to say something because God has brought it to my mind three times. I felt an unwelcoming spirit in this place when I walked in the sanctuary. I'm here to have church. And to have church means that we pour the Word of God. I want to speak the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's only happened to me three times in 25 years of pastoring that that's ever happened. What you did not see, what you do not know, is that God spoke to me on this platform. And I immediately prayed, and he changed my prayer publicly to remove that spirit from this sanctuary. Many of you do not know this, but he did it immediately. And it was at that time that was humbling for me because when God spoke, I prayed and I listened. When God starts to speak in your heart and in your life, it's not about the 120,000. God told me, start a church one person at a time. Not 120. He didn't say, Todd, go to the city of Akron. Go to the city of Kaga Falls. They all need saved. He didn't say that. I obeyed, and I knew it was one day at a time, one person at a time, and now I'm 15 years recovered from running from God. Seriously. 
Now, I'm going to make this very, very personal because this is our church. God brought you here today. There is something or someone in this room. And I, I just, I knew it as soon as I walked in the back doors as the praise team started coming forward. That God has been speaking to you. And if God has been speaking to you, I want you to respond on his prompting. There's nothing greater. I'll never forget the day that I knelt at the altar. A kid who was scared to death to even preach a message. Scared to death to even get in front of people. I would rather throw up than speak publicly in front of anybody. But I knew that I needed to walk down that aisle and surrender. I heard God's voice. And if you've been running from God, put aside the love and the lust of your flesh and and start to bask in the glory and the holiness, the righteousness, the purity of Almighty God. I want a church that's sold out, separated for Jesus. When I got done praying, I lifted up my eyes and that presence was gone. I'm here to tell you spiritual warfare is very, very strong. And the enemy will use whatever he can to hinder your relationship. Here's a thought. In our love relationships on this earth, there's part of my counseling coming out, but when we fall in love with somebody, you have that holy, pure relationship. There's nothing greater. I'll never forget when I was 15 years old and I fell in love with this girl that turned around and was staring at me. Bushy hair, big glasses from 1987, 1985. And who would ever think that today I'm her sugar daddy? wonderful years. But we both had a choice. And in that love relationship, we can let people hinder that relationship, separate the love that we have by the influences of other people. That's just this earthly relationship. But when you have a heavenly relationship with Jesus Christ, Don't let anyone or anything divide you from the love of Christ. Because He loves you. And He cares for you. And there's no greater love. Mrs. Tackett, my daughters know that. That my love is my Heavenly Father. I have a passion for God. I don't fear death because I will get to see Him face to face. I will kneel at the throne room of God. And I will be able to experience just what I've experienced on this side of heaven and eternity. That's what falling in love with our Father is all about. So today, who are you in love with? Have you been running from God? Have you been running away from God? May I challenge you to run with God. And he will take care of you just as you are. Let's pray.
Let's all stand to our feet. Father God, we love you and we thank you that in this room, Lord, you're doing a work. That you are working in ways, Lord, I cannot see, but I believe. And so, Father God, in the lives of people listening, watching, sitting in this place of worship in your sanctuary, turn our hearts towards home. Help us to love you more. Help us to listen to your call. Help us to be surrendered and sold out. Help us to have a whale of a tale to tell even one person of your grace, of your love, and of your mercy. Oh God, we ask that today that you will change our hearts and that you will change our mindset and that, Lord, we will get into the Word and we will learn your Word and we will walk in it. We will live in it. So, Father, here again, bring your presence into this place. Change our lives. And as one of the congregants said today, help us to not worry about the time. Because time isn't important at this moment, right here, right now. So, God, help us to hear you. Help us to be people of integrity, of righteousness, and of holiness. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Let us sing together.